Howdy hobos, all you astral vagabonds, all you migrant workers of the digital ether. My name is Mark. I'll be your camp host. Welcome to Hobo Safe Camp. Oh man, I don't even know how to tell you how great this conversation you're about to hear is. And it almost didn't happen. I was supposed to talk to Zaina Benyon, who will be joining us here in a few minutes, last week. But both the times that we had set up, I was too sick to pull it off. And she made me feel better by telling me that she had been sick too. And that did make me feel a little bit better for having to postpone. Um, but when it came time to talk to her today, I was still questioning the strength of my voice. But something told me that today was the day. No matter how shitty I sounded, today was the day. And I'm so glad that we connected. So listen, you're just going to have to deal with my nasally voice as I struggle to breathe. Uh, but I didn't want to put this episode off any further. The energy was right, so the conversation happened. And let this be a lesson to all of you. Don't fight what feels right, because what you're about to listen to could have only been captured today, and it's awesome. Zaina is going to talk about being a Mormon and leaving the Mormon church in her pursuit of spirituality. And as you'll find out, this isn't a bash on the Mormon church by any means. In fact, I would say it's actually an honoring of it. Um, it almost seems like in honoring the ancestors, we have to separate from what is in order to appreciate what was. Uh, over time, all groups mutate. Nothing stays the same. So I think it's important to find the essence of whatever spark started, whatever movement we find ourselves in, so that we can continue to evolve separately ourselves. And as you'll see, the journey Zaina has taken has come to a place where she is now everything. Just like all of our journeys are everything. We tend to fall into the trap that all the shit that's happened to us in the past needs to be reconciled. And that's actually probably true. We probably do need to reconcile things. But what if we reconcile things so that we understand that every experience before now has brought us to now. And now we're here. We're sitting around this virtual campfire. We're sharing stories. We're loving each other. We're free to be. And that's a beautiful thing. So before I get started, I'd just like to mention uh, that you can find more episodes of this here Hobo Safe Camp Virtual Campfire, as well as a bunch of other incredible netcasts if you go over to www.openlinesradio.com or you can type in Open Lines Radio into the search bar of just about any podcast app such as iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud. And in fact, if you go to SoundCloud and follow Open Lines Radio, you can browse each program by playlist. It makes it really easy to binge listen to your favorite Open Lines Radio shows. Um, also, be sure to follow Open Lines Radio on Instagram at Open Lines Radio. Follow me, Mark, at tincan.telephone. Follow this here virtual campfire netcast at Hobo Safe Camp. And for the love of God, follow Zyna at sago.strega. And listen and click the link in her bio and see everything that she has going on. All right. I'm going to spare you from having to listen to this voice anymore. I'm going to stop talking and let Zyna take over. So please... Pick up the tin can telephone that stretches across the multiverse, across galaxies, across dimensions, across time zones. Time zones even! 
Dear fellow lovers of love, listen with your hearts. Zina, ramble on. I'm just a rambling hobo. I ramble all along. I'm just a rambling hobo. I ramble all along. Ain't got no one to love me. No place to call my home. How did you get to be who you are right now? Just, who just am, tell me everything. Who am I? Where? I am in Springville, Utah right now. My name is Zaina Benyon. Um, I have an aunt that lives in Springville, Utah. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah, it's a nice little town. I haven't lived here very long. My husband and I have been here about three years. I'm from the town of Spring City, Utah, which is about an hour south of here. It's a very small little yeah, town. Yeah, old pioneer town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I grew up there. My parents are kind of these hippie artists. So even though I grew up in really rural Utah, total Mormon background, pioneer generations, multiple ways back in all my lines. Um, I grew up in a pretty liberal, open-minded home. We always had, I have all these memories as a kid of my dad, like picking up hitchhikers or inviting like people who are just traveling through to stay at our house. And we always had other people living with us. So I feel like despite growing up in a pretty small, conservative, kind of cloistered place, I was exposed to a lot of the world from a pretty young age. And, um, in the best possible ways, I think. And um, Was that how the community was, or were you guys kind of like the liberal family of the community? Yeah, we were the weirdos, always. I, I have this strange sense of kind of always being an outsider wherever I am. Like, I felt growing up that I never fully meshed with my community, even though I had dear friends and people were kind to me, and I never felt, like, ostracized there was always kind of this like, well, that's the Benyons. They're kind of weird. Um, <laughs> and, you know, my dad has a pottery shop there on Main Street. And we just, yeah, we're just kind of the weirdo family. Um, and they had both, my parents had both moved to Spring City out of the blue. Like they grew up in other places. They both grew up in areas that had been small towns that really exploded into urban sprawl. And so when they got married, they were like, we want to find a little tiny town and they went on their honeymoon to Moroni, which if you know where that is, it's right by Spring City. It's another small town. And after two weeks of being married, bought a house there and just the rest is history. So I, I feel like I had this very idyllic childhood where, um, yeah, I mean, it was dirt roads. We rode our horses all over the place, ran kind of wild. Um, and then I wound up going to a private high school that's near there that's a boarding school, but I was a day student. So my high school experience was not like the typical small town Utah experience. I was one of only a few, you know, Mormon kids that went there. And then from there, I went to college back east uh, at a school called Sarah Lawrence and studied art and literature. And again, I was like the only, not only the only Mormon, but like the only religious person, period. It was very liberal. Um, and somehow from there, I wound up going on a mission after I graduated, <laughs> which was kind of weird going on an LDS mission. Um, and then, well, were your, you guys were the liberal family of the neighborhood, but were you pretty staunch Mormons? Where did, did your parents like, did they follow the teachings of the church or were they yeah, still I mean, kind of liberal, even in the religious sense? They were liberal in the religious sense too. Like my dad has always been like 
very enamored with Native, Native American um, spiritual pathways. And uh, he's volunteered for like 30 years at the Gunnison prison with the um, indige indigenous inmates there. And he served his mission amongst um, some of the indigenous people of Canada. So we always had all these other influences. I, looking back, I kind of described, I feel like I had more of a humanist mystic childhood, but I ascribed it to Mormonism because that was the language that we spoke because that's what the language my parents spoke. And, and they, you know, I remember my parents like speaking openly about frustrations they had with the church or with church leadership or um, different things. So I, I didn't grow up in like a really cookie cutter Mormon home, but it was on the one hand, very faithful too. So my, my parents really like someone described my dad once as the most like orthodox, unorthodox Mormon you'll ever meet. Like he's does it his own way, but he is very believing. Um, and so I think I just thought that that was this possibility to kind of be in these two seemingly opposite worlds. And I think I did it for a long time. Um, but going on a mission was kind of this like real 180 because I had never I never graduated like from seminary or institute or did any of the church's religious education programs. I mean, I remember being in the MTC and kind of realizing, oh, this is the story of Joseph Smith. This is the restoration. I didn't really know any of this. The MTC is the Mormon, Mormon <laughs> training or the missionary training, missionary training center. Yeah, people so who I don't was know. Like definitely. Yeah, I was definitely kind of unconventional in that way. Um, but it. It was a real coming back from my mission, like, pardon my French, it was a real mindfuck because I was just, I'd gone from this very liberal open education to this very, like, focused kind of almost brainwashing situation on the mission and then trying to figure out who I was between those two things in my early 20s was really, was really tricky. And I, I wound up landing in Provo and, um, I went up doing a graduate program at Brigham Young University, which is the Mormon Church's university, and, um, you know, just kind of digging in and being like, okay, I'm a Mormon, this is it. And I had all these, like, I'd always had trouble with a lot of the historical stuff in the church. I, I wasn't raised in a home where that was hidden from me. I knew that Joseph Smith had the wives and 14-year-old wives, and, you know, I just, all of that had all been transparent to me growing up. Um, but it's just normal, because that's just kind of how you're taught. You know, it doesn't. Yeah, seem well, weird. and like all my great grandparents, like if you go back a few generations, had multiple wives. So, you know, I'm the product of polygamy right. on basically every side of my DNA. Right. So, it's normal. <laughs> my my paternal grandparents are double second cousins. It's kind of weird. Um, so my my maternal great grandparents are. So yeah, there you go. Nice. We probably have some of the same weird things going yeah. on in our biology. Yeah. I want to I want to talk about. Are you, are you okay talking about your mission a little bit? We don't have to spend a whole lot of time, but I think yeah, sure. I think it's kind of a uh, this I don't know if it's mysterious. Just this thing like there's this the stereotypical Mormon missionaries right. that are out there, and well, I mean, yeah. what's it? What does it entail to become a, a missionary, especially as a sister missionary? What what? How is, do you think your experience differs from what male missionaries? Yeah, I mean, I think it's changed a lot since I served a mission. But, you know, when I went, it was still kind of this thing where sisters didn't go as much. It was more optional for the young men. It was more like mandatory. You do this or you're a bad Mormon for the young women. It was sort of like, well, if you're not married, do this. Right. right. <laughs> and I was in that not married camp. Um, and, and I think 
my decision to do that was sort of I was choosing to leave the church or serve a mission. I'm kind of an all or nothing person. And um, I, I opted with that. And it, it was strange. I think I was an unusual missionary because I was already graduated from college. I had lived abroad. I, I had a lot of life experience that a lot of the other 19 to 21 year olds around me didn't have. Um, so that, that was kind of strange. But, you know, when you're a missionary, it's a very structured life. Like, but 6 a.m. every morning and you study the scriptures every day and you go out and knock on doors and proselytize and teach people and try to get them to get baptized in your church. It's this, it's this weird thing. Um, and I, I, ha- I remember having some real cognitive dissonance. I served my mission in upstate New York, um, which was strange because I had gone to school in New York and sent my papers out from New York. So it kind of. I was a little bummed at my mission call, but um, <laughs> the last the last area I served in was Ithaca, New York, and my older sister had gone to Cornell University, and so I had already spent a fair amount of time in Ithaca. I knew people there. My sister was actually living there at the time, which is a wild whole other story. Um, and I remember it was it was really frustrating to like walk around and be kind of this walking stereotype because I could just like feel like people seeing me and thinking like oh there's this like religious fundamentalist probably uneducated and then when they would would actually if anyone would actually talk to me they would quickly find like oh we have things in common and like the first day I was there we were out knocking doors in a neighborhood and we knocked on the store and this woman came to the door and she immediately goes to slam the door and says no thank you I have my own religion and as she's slamming the door I recognized her and I was like Randy (laughs) And she stopped and she was like, what? And my sister had lived with her. I had spent the night in her house before. Like I knew her. And I was like, it's Zaina Benyon. And she was like, oh my gosh. And she was like, I'm so, so, so sorry. Oh my gosh. Come in, come in, come in. Gave us water, you know. But it was, so it was this interesting experience to be kind of like read as one thing by based on like what you're doing with your life and the kind of label you're wearing versus who you are on the inside. And I, I I felt that a lot, like at Sarah Lawrence, I felt that, um, you know, being this religious person in this liberal situation at BYU, I felt like this, or I felt really conservative at Sarah Lawrence and at BYU, I felt really liberal. So yeah, just kind of always, like, I feel like I've like shape-shifted between these two worlds a lot. And now I'm at a point in my life where I have left the church and now I'm in this place where I still live in Utah and I see people look at me, you know, wearing clothing or I have like a tattoo on my arm or, you know, things that they then judge, judge me for who I am, not knowing what's inside of me. So kind of the opposite, a flip. Yeah. And I, and I feel like my mission like was a really interesting experiment in that. So I don't know if that answers I've, your question. I've always just been kind of fascinated by wondering what missionaries think when they're, they've gone out for the day and they've come home. And they're they've made dinner and they're just they're just in in their downtime before the next day, kind of what what they think what they're thinking if like like <laughs> were you into it were you in it or were were you like what am I doing when you actually had time to think? I was in it. I was really in it. Like um, I would spend my time thinking about the people we were teaching and what we could be doing to better help them and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I. I'm like a, a major Virgo. I'm a Virgo son and I have like six other aspects in Virgo. So I'm so good at following rules and like being committed to something and being loyal. So for me, 
I was just like fully in it. And, and I also felt like I was kind of making up for lost time because I'd had this like more liberal hippie upbringing. I didn't feel like a true Mormon. So I think there was part of me that was trying to like Mormon up and like, you know, like get my merit, my Mormon merit badges as a missionary so that I could feel like a true Mormon. I thought if I just try this hard enough, it will be okay. And I'll stop feeling so otherized or so different in this religion. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 No, that makes total sense. And do, do you think that goes to the, um, well, well, so I guess, so you went from kind of this liberal Mormon family to going mm-hmm. to becoming a Mormon and fully immersing yourself in Mormonism then what happens when you get home? Oh, man, it was rough because I, you know, I wound up moving to Provo. I had thought I would move to Brooklyn because that's where all my college friends were. And that just didn't feel right. So I wound up moving to Provo and living with my grandma in her basement like every BYU student. Um, and I just really threw myself into church life there. I, you know, they have um, Mormons have congregations that are just for um young people who are in their like 20s and 30s with kind of the intent that if the whole congregation is single and in this age range they'll start marrying off um so i was in this single adults ward and i quickly got called as the release society president which is like the leader of the women's organization so i just threw myself into that i was like doing church stuff all the time and it, it was again this very strange thing where these other parts of me like my interests and my passions and kind of my more liberal side was reemerging, but I didn't know how to blend that with being super churchy. And I was getting asked on dates all the time by like really square Mormon dudes. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like so awkward because like on the one hand, part of me was like, yeah, this is who I want to marry. I want to marry someone who's like super solid in the church and like really righteous and will make it to the highest level of heaven and be together forever. This is what I want. Um, but we had like nothing in common. Like these dates, it's so many bad first dates. Oh my gosh, so many. <laughs> I and I would imagine. ultimately, I, I would always wind up sabotaging them kind of intentionally by like dropping some like political, like liberal viewpoint or saying something that was like just a little too feminist or, you know, yeah. I, there was a part of me that was like always sabotaging that. And then when I met the guy who I wound up marrying, that like super Mormon part of me was so mad because he was like, you know, this like liberal, radical, political, not at all like Peter Priesthood dude. (laughs) But I think, I think, you know, my heart knew what was right for me and like overrode that like kind of Aunt Lydia part of me. But he, what was he Mormon? He was Mormon? (laughs) He was, yeah, but he had, he had gone through like some, he was from a non-traditional background. He grew up on the East Coast. His dad had been excommunicated when he was a kid and, um, he he had basically like wound up leaving BYU because he had openly been opposed to and protested the Iraq war when it broke out on moral grounds. Like he was like, this is not a moral war. This is not right. And he because he'd grown up back east, he wasn't familiar with the like kind of bizarre marriage of Mormon culture and right wing conservative politics. Right. And so he kind of got just thrown to the wolves and torn apart by fellow students and the administration. And it was pretty ugly. So he, his, he had discovered pretty early on that Mormons are just like everyone else. There's nice people and not so nice people. And 
they're not special and they're not God's chosen people. (laughs) And so, so he was in a much more nuanced and, uh, yeah, independent place where I was trying to be in this, like, give my whole self to the church place. And so is that when you started questioning it again? Uh, not really. I mean, we dated for a really long time, especially for Mormons. We like, I think it was like a total of seven years that we knew each other before we finally got married and we're dating for like six of those (laughs) and breaking up. We we broke up a lot. Um, usually at my behest and usually because I was worried he wasn't Mormon enough. (laughs) (laughs) I was, uh, yeah, I was, I was a real dick. It's terrible. I, he was much more patient and kind and Christ-like in his attitude to me than I was to him. Um, but I was really wrestling with myself. You know, I had all these just natural inclinations that were more humanist and open and curious about a wider, more magical world. But I was always trying to fit all of that back into this box. And um, and then I started a career working in outdoor education. I worked at a boarding school and I ran their outdoor program and their community service program um, kind of at the end of my 20s into my early 30s. And it was one of those jobs where it kind of consumed my entire life. And so I think if I hadn't been in that job, I would have started questioning earlier, but it, it just kind of took over my whole life. And so I didn't have a lot of time to think about my I was just on autopilot spiritually. I was still going to church and, you know, just kind of going through the motions, but not really feeling kind of stuck and dormant. And when we finally got married, which was um, about six years ago, uh, I quit that job and I had time and space for the first time as an adult in my mid thirties to just kind of be like, wait a minute, who am I? What's going on? Like, what do I really believe? And at that point, issues within the church around like LGBTQ plus um, the treatment of of gay members was was getting worse and worse and that was becoming more and more and more problematic for me and um so it was just kind of a combination of a lot of things and then as I finally had time as an adult to like start meditating and digging into all these things that had always been kind of hovering in my peripheral peripheral consciousness um it was then that I started to realize like oh all of these things have always bothered me and the church is not spiritually nourishing me the way that I have been giving it credit for. And so then, as I started to really find a spirituality that like felt more real and authentic, and I started to feel myself sort of grow again spiritually and get curious again spiritually, that's when I realized like I really had to leave. So I, I often say it was spirituality that led me out of the church and really allowing myself to follow what I had always desired and and kind of been attracted to. And so um, in the midst of all of that um, kind of processing, I found, or I feel like tarot found me um, because I had been exposed to tarot when I was in high school, just really briefly. And had never really thought of it again because, you know, Mormons don't do that kind of thing. That's like devil worship. So um, I remembered that the deck I had been exposed to was round. And so I just Googled round tarot decks and I found the mother piece deck, which is the one I had seen as a kid. And uh, I got it and I I had no idea what the cards were about, how they worked or anything. I just was like shuffling them. And I, the very first card I pulled for myself was the Hierophant, um, which is this, I mean, you know, this archetype, it's, it's the Pope in older decks and it's very much, um 
a card about patriarchy and organized religion. And I feel like the hero font really shows up and asks you some tough questions. I feel like when that card comes up, it's, it's kind of saying, why do you believe what you believe? And so that card just haunted me for a couple of years. Like I pulled it over and over and over. Um, but I feel like it was it that language. I've always been a very symbolic person. I studied art and art history. And so that symbolic language and archetype just really felt natural and became pretty quickly a language that really helped me navigate the shifting spiritual landscape I was in and then kind of led me through the wilderness to wherever I am now, which who knows, I'm just in this like yes and yes place. Right. It's all <laughs> real and not real. I don't really care. I'm not in for any dogma or concrete belief. I, I'm pretty open to like whatever someone, however someone wants to like view the world, that's cool with me so long as you're not you know, murdering people. Right, right. <laughs> I like how you say that uh, spirituality led you out of religion. Um, was that was was that a tough thing? I know the kind of, and and maybe it's just because I haven't experienced other religions, but it seems like with the LDS Church and the Mormons, especially when they leave the church, there's a lot of pain involved in that process. Yeah. And and I I don't know if that's the case with other religions or, but it, it seems like with Mormonism specifically, it becomes this thing. That's really yeah. hard to get over. It, it is, and it was, and it, it still is sometimes. I mean, Mormonism, I think I think a lot of religions say it's an all or nothing thing, but I think in a lot of religions, especially older religions like Catholicism or Judaism, there's more room for you to be in the place that's comfortable to you, where in Mormonism, it's still fresh and new, and there's a real in and out culture. You know, you're either in it and doing all the things, or you are out, and... Um, there's not a lot of room to carve out your own space. Because I really tried for a long time to carve out my own space and think, okay, I can do this. And at a certain point, I just realized it was physically painful to be in church, even though I loved all the people there. I loved my community. Um, so that was really hard to like step away from that. And, and you know, I worried a lot about disappointing my ancestors because um, that's a big part of the narrative, especially if you come from like, pioneer ancestors who sacrificed everything and left their homelands and carved out this really difficult existence in the desert west all of that narrative was kind of hanging over me and um i felt i had some experiences where i would was praying about that specifically and and feeling into it and i had some really beautiful kind of personal spiritual experiences that were very different from previous spiritual experiences i had where i really felt I got the blessing of my ancestors that it's my time to be a pioneer, that they were pioneers in their time and did what they could, especially the female ancestors, my female ancestors. And I felt like they were kind of blessing me and saying, it's time for you to take this next step. And you're not just doing it for yourself, but you're doing it for all of us. And so that's been a, my ancestors have actually become much more important to me. And I, I feel like because of that, that has made it, less painful in some ways because I feel deeply connected to them now and um, like they're still very much a part of my path and maybe more so than when I was in a religion that really teaches a lot about ancestors um, and I think in terms of my immediate family I have two sisters and both of them had left the church a long time ago so my parents had already been through that I wasn't like 
the first one. It, I think it was kind of hard because I was the last one to leave and I was the only one that had really made it into adulthood as a practicing Mormon. So that was kind of hard. But I think in some ways it's it's given them permission to not take any. I think especially my dad, I feel like felt some responsibility, like it was maybe his fault. His t- other two daughters had left. But I think with me leaving as a very conscious, full, aware adult, he realized it, it had nothing to do with him. It was it was my own choice. And and he was a, he was and is a great dad. And that's all that matters. So I, I feel really lucky. Yeah. And it seems like you're in a really peaceful place. Um, I know a lot of ex-Mormons seem to leave with a lot of anger and it doesn't seem like that's yeah. the reason or that like there was a lot of anger associated around it. And I think the anger might come from just might come from kind of that brainwash attitude where when you finally realize yeah. you've been taught all these things that were so mor- morally against who you really were. Totally. Yeah. I, I definitely have things that get me really angry when I think about it or certain things that I feel kind of robbed of, like my autonomy and my agency for so long. But compared to a lot of people I know, I, I feel like my exit ha- has been very, um, peaceful and, you know, I'm still working through my stuff and unpacking rage <laughs> at the patriarchy, but you know, no more so than any other person really. Right. Right. And if you, and if you consider things come into our life for a reason, like all those things you learned through those years as a Mormon yeah. are still being put into practice now, just not as a Mormon. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's been a really, like my husband used to always say to me when we were dating, he was so wise and he would say, do you think that you're a good person and who you are because of the church or because that's just you? And I would always say, Oh, it's because of the church. Cause without the church, I wouldn't be like this and this. And, and he would always just counter that and be like, no, I think that's just who you are. And me leaving has proven him right. Like this is who I am and I'm a good person just like everyone else. (laughs) And it wasn't the religion making me that or it wasn't because there's this kind of scarcity narrative that without religion, you'll be this debauched and like selfish, terrible person. And I, I feel like now I can be my authentic self without giving that away to anyone else or giving that power away to anyone else. Yeah. And, and doesn't it feel so good to like to be that person without the fear of oh consequence? God, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Yeah, it's like the Wizard of Oz. I feel like it's like stepping out of the black and white world into Technicolor. And, <laughs> exactly. And it's a, one of the most interesting things to me is how much, I mean, I've always loved people and the world and the earth, and but that love has so intensified in leaving the church because in the church there was all this fear about how do I help all these people become Mormon and what if I'm not being a good enough Mormon? There was just all this constant fear and leaving the church I can just love without any question. I can just love because I love people and love them for who they are without worrying about how they need to change to become saved. Um, and I also feel more existential angst and the pain of people more deeply. So it's, it's a real, yes, yeah, it's like ev- emotional, like visual, everything. It's like everything's in technicolor. It's deeper and wider and therefore more joyful and more painful in the same breath. That's awesome. So, okay. Um, so now we're up to here. You, you've you've had this life. You were a Mormon. You weren't a Mormon. You've gotten married. What's going yeah. on now? How how do you describe who you are and where you are and 
what you're practicing currently? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, I got a notification on my phone this morning from a, an astrology app telling me that I'm a, I'm starting my midlife crisis. So there's that. Um, <laughs> I think it's healthy to always be in midlife crisis. And always I know. It it's like everything's going to be in flux. And I was like, well, yeah, that's how it's been for a while. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm wary of labels to some extent because I've been in this culture of, of labels for so long. But I do have a strong affinity for and affection for the, the word witch. And on my Instagram, it says that I'm a, an herbal witch, um, mostly because as I was leaving the church and started really digging in and reading about Neolithic goddess culture and, you know, ancient earth based spirituality that my ancestors have practiced and, you know, discovering that witches are simply wise women or people who work with the earth and with the plants and um, help heal and bring um, wisdom to their communities. So, yeah, I, I read tarot for people. I see clients. Um, I have been running community women's circles for a while on the new moon. Um, I also host a monthly fairy school for kids in my community because my husband and I have chosen not to have children. And so I really want to take an active role in supporting the the raising of the children in my community. Um, and I, I've been studying with and I'm working with a mystic and helping her kind of create a school of mysticism and magic. Um, yeah, so it, it, it's like a, every day, like a new doors open and I'm in this kind of state of continual exploration and discovery and learning and also trying to be, um, a presence in my community that is a safe haven for people or can help people, um, going through similar transitions because there's a lot of people right now and especially women or female identifying people who are um, leaving the church or going through faith transitions or crises. And so I want to hold space and be there for them. That's awesome. So that's, yeah, that's kind of what it looks like day to day. <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. Do you, as, as you're talking, I'm thinking, I, I kind of wanted to leave Mormonism, but as you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of, the women, I think, were a big part of the Mormon history that kind of get, mm -hmm. I don't want to say buried under the rug, they're kind of hidden. They're kind of, they're kind of hidden in the yeah. history. But I think, like, in the beginning especially, women played a huge role. And it was almost like yeah. they were able to operate um, invisibly because you had this patriarchy and you had these men doing their things on top of it well kind of in the background you had the women really pulling the strings and do you, and you know and and the women have always been a big thing the relief society and um yeah and and they're all and and women are always supporting each other within the mormon community and do you think that maybe now we're at a time where maybe I don't know, the divine masculine is letting off a little or, and, and the patriarchy is dissolving where women are able yeah. to function independently of kind of like with, without, without needing that smoke screen of male. Yeah, energy. totally. Well, I mean, in the, in the beginning of the church, women weren't behind a screen as much. They did have more power and authority. And even up until, um, like even my our grandmother's generations, the women's organizations had 
a lot more autonomy, a lot more personal, you know, power within their own ranks and, and even kind of more non-traditional folk practices like women giving blessings or women, um, you know, being more spiritual authorities was, took place. It was really in correlation in like the, the fifties and sixties that, a lot of women's autonomy and power within the church started to really systemically and institutionally get shut down. Um, but I mean, it's true that like women, even in the the early church, were never fully given equal power to men. They weren't given the priesthood, um, but they they did have more say. And and I do feel like now, like there is a real shift happening. I feel like there's a real rise in, you know, call it the divine feminine, call it the goddess call it whatever you want to but I think there is this real rise in women kind of like waking up and being like wait a minute why have I been (laughs) giving this power away because it's so trained into you I think in the church it's it's conditioned to defer and I spent many years in the church as an adult woman saying I'm fine with this I'm equal with this it's okay I don't need to have the priesthood because I have these other roles and I feel, you know, and I was lucky to never have like any really blatant situations in the church where I felt discriminated against. But it's funny looking back now, I see lots of instances of that in my history that I just didn't see at the time because I was so conditioned to see things in a certain way. So I think I think the scales are starting to fall. And I think women and men alike are seeing that and recognizing the damage that that causes when you have such a gendered um power structure in any institution. I think we're seeing it in our wider culture as well. Right. Right. And, 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 and I guess, and, and I'm not saying like there's no role for men, but like you say, it's, it's like right. things are changing to where it's more of an equal men and women are playing more of equal roles and men have to like, kind of take a step back too to <laughs> let that happen. There's kind of a yeah. blow to the yeah. masculine inner masculine, uh, ego when, when, uh, you allow uh, 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 women to be your equal. So it's, it's a slow, well, it's, it's about, it's about healing the masculine too. Cause you know, what happens when there's a power concentration is it, it often gets corrupted. So a lot of the masculinity that we experience in our cu- culture is toxic masculinity, which causes as much harm to men as it does to women, right. I think. Yep. And, and, you know, and so I think we're all kind of collectively realizing, oh, this is kind of a bad deal we've got going on here. Let's fix this. Let's, let's bring balance that allows all of us to just be humans, to, you know, to, to take away the binary of male, female, to take away these binaries of right and wrong, to take away these, you know, there's just so much, when you try to divide everything into two, it gets really, there's a lot of fear and control control that enters into systems that are trying to exist in a binary. Right. So. Right. So I want, I want to ask you how tarot, like, like, do you think that, because I come from a Mormon background as well. My family is, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I come from pioneers. I come from, like they go back. We are probably I have, I, one of my, I, I, one of my great, 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 whatever grandmother was Patty Sessions. She was married to Joseph Smith. Oh, yeah. The older one. She was, the, she, she gave birth mm-hmm. to, she was the, the midwife who birthed the first 
few thousand Mormons, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. So it goes. That's a legacy. <laughs> it goes back, but I feel, um, and, and you know, the, the 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 church now. I don't know if, if it's even the church. It's just the the members of the church. They like you say, like it's the devil's work, like the tarot's, this, and anything mysticism mm-hmm. and occult. But I feel like that Mormon background really kind of helps me read yeah. tarot. Yeah. Cause, well, because, I mean, Mormonism and religion aren't all bad, obviously. And one of the things I feel like religion and being a religious person taught me is how to speak symbolic language. You know, because the scriptures, the Bible and, you know, the Mormons read the Book of Mormon are symbolic language. They're parables and stories, myths, I would say, you know, that would make my old Mormon self die a thousand deaths but um but they're stories that we read symbolically you know you look at the characters in them you look at the the situations and the settings and they're all symbols that you're trying to then apply to your current life that's what you're taught from a young child in mormonism how to apply the scriptures to your to the present day life these like weird old archaic stories and you're trying to figure out how does this apply to me right now and so it teaches you that kind of analytical skill of making these applications and seeing the symbols and seeing the patterns. Um, And so I feel like that lends itself really well to tarot um, in terms of being able to look at a symbolic symbol and, and draw meaning from it and apply it to your life or apply it to the life of the person who's um, sitting in front of you asking questions. And I think it's a, it's something that's, that's, taught from a young age so I, I do really feel like my Mormon background has informed my my tarot practice and you know to be honest there's still times when especially if I'm reading for someone who um, is a former Mormon or I even have some clients that are still practicing Mormons who come to me and I will sometimes a certain scripture will pop into my mind um, that applies to the card and what we're talking about and I'll be like oh this is like an Alma where he talks about blah 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 <laughs> so but that it still is it's still in me it's still a language that I speak and it still informs my own spiritual language yeah yeah I guess that's a way to think of it I never thought of it like it, it, pretty much everything you do in life like becomes or, or be, you know becomes a language that you're able to speak to someone else yeah. on some level yeah and early Mormonism is full of folk magic like there's like a great book by a guy called D. Michael Quinn called, um, I think it's called Early Mormonism and the Magical Worldview. But like Joseph Smith was, he was a magician, you know, he had a Jupiter talisman that he wore his entire life that he was super protective of. He was doing all kinds of divination work that everyone in upstate New York was doing. And there's all these stories about like magical handkerchiefs that he would bless and then give to people and they'd lay them over their face and it would cure their illness. And, you know, early Mormonism is riddled with folk magic. And I think we've done so much to sanitize our history and sanitize the stories and turn it into this, you know, very clear, clean cut thing from God. And it's like, no, they were just playing around with a bunch of magic and (laughs) things kind of got out of hand. Right. Right. And you know, one of the things that, um, you know, the, the the big thing that the the Mormon church uh, preaches is genealogy and probably the thing that my, my still practicing Mormon family would not like me to have put into play is what I discovered through my genealogy (laughs) was that these early women who were part of the, you know, the first or the church starting where they were on the ground floor, you trace their, their, their 
lineage back and it goes back to like the Salem witch trials, you know? So like it's wow. something that's happened a lot. That's, that's, Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's why I think like in the beginning they were that's kind of it was like their coven yeah. where they were using mm-hmm. the church kind of as as the smokescreen to hide it. And I also think they were the ones making things happen because totally you know that's just who they were. And like that they were, I mean, just going back like witches everywhere. It kind of seems like that's who they are. They're the ones that are kind of in the shadows, but they're the ones that are also really making things happen in the light. You know? Yeah. <laughs> totally. They're pulling yeah. the strings. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, you'll be curious to know there's a guy here. I don't know how far along he is in the project, but he's making a Mormon tarot deck. Um oh, that'll be interesting. It's really it's really fascinating. So like uh like the lovers is Joseph Smith and Emma Smith and um the hanged man is Joseph falling upside down out of the window of Carthage jail, which is where he died. <laughs> It's it's pretty great. If you just Google it, you'll find okay, it. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to. What? Uh, so you're. What are you doing? What are you doing right now with with uh, these these? Are you doing classes? Is that what what I see? Or is it a workshop? Or is it what's? Are you working yeah. on that's coming up? So it's a class that I'm. I've been co-creating with um, a dear friend of mine. Her name is Sarah Hanks, and she is on Instagram. She's Cottonwood Tarot, and um, she's a fellow. Uh, ex-Mormon tarot reader and we kind of found each other online and have become friends and um, earlier this year we both posted within like 24 hours about really similar themes um, kind of discussing how do you bring with you the the parts of of religion that you still cherish or the things that were of value to you as you exit a religion we both had posted about that and so I contacted her and said, Sarah, are you picking up on what I'm picking up? And she's like, yeah. And it really quickly and kind of magically, we came up with this course. It felt like one of those ideas that was just hovering in the ether. And we both kind of tuned into it and helped bring it down to earth. Um, so the course that we've created is called Roots, Seeds, and Weeds. And then subtitle, Cultivating a Spiritual Garden Beyond Religion. And our our intention with this class is to... Uh, provide women or female identifying people who are have left the Mormon church or are in the process of leaving the church um, to help them just kind of navigate those waters and to give them permission and some tools to consider in cultivating a new spiritual life if that's important to them because some people leave religion and they're done with spirituality too and that's totally cool but for those who are wanting to still have a spiritual life kind of where how do you do that and also how how, what parts of what you're leaving can you bring with you and so um it's very much framed in her in every part of it turning the authority and the autonomy back to the individual like we've worked really hard to make it not a class that's like a dogmatic checklist of here's what you do and here's how you do this because that's what we all did for so many years in the church and so we're really trying to help women develop their own spiritual authority in a way that feels very authentic and clear to them. And and the garden has been a really useful metaphor. I mean, A, it's got a real biblical, you know, getting cast out of a garden or leaving a garden is a, a biblical theme, but also this idea that we can each cultivate a garden that is to our own liking. You know, some people might want a garden that's really utilitarian and is full of vegetables, and some people might want a garden that's like 
like a cottage garden and it's just full of wildflowers and some people might want a rose garden and you know there, there's just been a lot of rich metaphor there that we've played around with and um the doors for signing up are open right now um they close on april 28th i think let me get this open here and then the course begins on april 29th and runs for six weeks until june 9th and so um it's an online course so anyone anywhere in the world can sign up and it can each week there will be like an audio and a pdf lesson sent at the beginning of the week and then at the end of the week we'll meet in a live zoom call to discuss and talk and share and um just kind of work through what people what came up for people during the week lesson so right on. i think it'll be Sounds really cool. really great we're really excited about it so um if you want to learn more about it people can go to my instagram which is just sego s-e-g-o dot strega s-t-r-e-g-a and uh there's a link in my profile that will take them right to the, the course landing page and have all the information perfect so, perfect yeah. that sounds awesome that sounds cool yeah this has been uh fun it's been it's been it's been it's been therapeutic for me i always like talking to other ex-mormons just to kind of hear yeah. their story of uh of uh and especially i like to hear peaceful ones and, and ones that seem to have yeah. kind of been a natural it almost seems like like you needed that first half of your life to as the foundation yeah, for the second half yeah and and i think you know i've talked to people from other about you know, backgrounds who've left other religions or people who never left religions. And it's always surprising to me how unique all of our stories are and yet how similar, you know, so I hope that my story will have benefit and, and value to all of your listeners. Just like, you know, I've been listening to a lot of this podcast and it's just, I love hearing all these different stories. Like there's so much more that's similar about us that is different, I think. Yeah, for sure. For sure. When my rambling days are over And my gambling days are through When my rambling days are over And my gambling days are through If you tell me that you love me I'll be coming back to you 